0: Good evening, family. How's everybody? Good to go? Good, good. Come on. So I, we got one testimony we got to share. Why don't you come on up, okay? Let's, let's do this. This is, this is amazing. And just, just tell that little story. And we just want to thank the Lord. And come on through. We want to thank the Lord for what He's up to. This is, this is neat.
1: About, um, I'd say six weeks ago, five, six weeks I stepped down on my knee and popped a, a ligament
0: in my knee and it caught my sciatic nerve. And I, it wasn't able to hold me. That's so
1: I was on a walker for a few weeks. And that I had an appointment today with the doctor, Dr. Phillips, who goes here, uh, to have, he was going to put some gel in my knee so I could walk. And last Saturday we were praying and we've been taking communion and praying over my knee and Last Saturday, it quit hurting, and God healed me. And I went in today, and the doctor confirmed that I'm healed. I just want to praise God
0: because he's so faithful. Come on. Come on. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Beautiful. Somebody else. You know, We have EDMs, we call them, everyday miracles. Sometimes there's an epic day miracle. That was, that was a little more on the epic side. It's beautiful. Thank you,
1: Shirley. I know that several people have been praying for my granddaughter who has been in the Austin State Hospital for uh, nine months now. And my daughter-in-law decided enough was enough. She threw a fit on Monday to several different people. (laughs) And we ended up, they ended up in court this morning. And I had texted several people and asked for prayers. And the hearing went so smoothly. It was amazing. And they are getting ready to place her in a residential Uh, Youth Ranch, Blue Bonnet Youth Ranch in Yoakum, and it's supposed to be one of the best in the state, so we thank everybody for their prayers, and we praise God for letting everything go so smoothly today.
0: All right, let's come on, somebody, give the Lord a hand, thank God for favor, Russell, get this over here.
1: Yeah, um, I just want to say just every since we started doing this book, somebody just gave us these books the first night we came here for free. And just going through the book and applying the teachings, just getting rid of the judgment in my life, Mm. the criticism, the bitterness, the hatred, just all of these things that this book talks about, gossiping, just all this stuff, it was blocking my flow of being able to love people. Right? Because yeah. we're letting Christ live his life through us. And when you get that soul plaque out, it's like it frees Christ to freely live his loving, fruitful spirit through you. And the result is like it just fills your heart full of joy. <laughs> and so I just wanted to testify, and I saw the guy that wrote the book, Bill Lovis, the other day, and I probably freaked him out because I hugged him like three times. I was like, man, <laughs> I'm so joyful. This is such a great thing that's happened to me. But Really, it is when you get the soul plaque out, Mm. and you really start to rest in Christ and let His love flow through you. It's a wonderful thing. Thank you. Just wanted to share
0: that. All right. That's great. Well, how about we get some more of that plaque out tonight? Does that sound like a plan? Amen. Let's do that. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, what a privilege to be together as friends, as family, and um, Lord, to be before you and even even as russell said with joy with joy so father thank you that joy is a fruit of the spirit and lord i thank you that we're leaning in and we're learning what it means to according to galatians chapter 5 walk by the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh so thank you lord for teaching us and so right now we position ourselves before you as sons and daughters And as disciples, and we sit at the feet of Jesus, we ask you, Holy Spirit, be the spirit of truth who leads us, who guides us into all truth. And that's our heart. Open our eyes that we may see, our ears that we may hear, and our hearts that we may know truth. We may know the truth that makes us free. As Jesus said, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, Lord, we lean into you. And we welcome you to be our teacher tonight. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen Amen and amen. All right, just going to backtrack just a little, but not long. We're going to move quickly through it because I didn't want to move on ahead because it's kind of like algebra. You don't want to get too quick. If you ever missed a few algebra classes, you were doomed for the next two years, right? So we don't want to just move too quickly, and the goal is not to finish before Christmas. The goal is to be disciples. Amen? So the goal is the journey, not the finish line. So we're going to pause in a couple of weeks, and then we will literally pick this back up in January. There's no need to try to finish anything or rush anything. This is too important. And your testimony, that absolutely just is just affirmation, confirmation. This is important, what we're talking about. And I hope that All of us, and I know for me, what this is doing is, um, how many of you have ever been looking for a new car, and you had a particular car in mind? Let's say you wanted a, uh, let's say, just I'm throw something out. Say you wanted a a white F150 Ford. You've been thinking about it. You've been doing your research. You've looked up consumer reports. You're checking the checking the reviews out. What happens when you go out the next time on the town? You see F-150s everywhere, white ones, right? All of a sudden, your filter gets adjusted. And suddenly, because that's now in your grid, you have a category for that. Now everywhere you go, you see that. Well, that's what teaching does for me. I hope that does this for you, where when we talk about it, we repeat it. And even Bill Loveless, who authored this, says he has the gift of repetition. And I think I've got that same DNA strand in me. But the idea is is the more we hear it, the more it gets in, the, in our in our mind, and our thinking, and eventually assimilates into our heart and our life. And so in a sense, what we do, we're throwing out seeds upon the soil of our heart, and the idea and the goal and the belief is that they'll begin to take root. And when that happens, you start thinking this way. So just like you're seeing an F50, white F50 everywhere you go, now, because we're talking about love and we're doing this on an ongoing basis, you start to think about it more. What I do now, and I've noticed my prayer language is being shaped by this, because I'll say something like I did tonight before on my way in, I was praying, and I was like, Lord, I don't want to just show up and do loving things. I don't want to just show up and, and try to be you know, loving. I want to be love. Lord, my desire is to become love. Because it's your identity, I'm asking that it might be mine since I'm your son. So it it actually shapes my language in my conversation with the Lord. And um, and two, in my fellowship with the Lord, not just my relationship, we know that's secure, but my fellowship, that sense of well-being, that sense of peace, that sense of joy you have from having a a, vibe, a vibrant relationship with him. So I hope that the more we talk about this and you stay in with this, that it starts to shift your grid and you begin to see things with a fresh lens. I had a visit with Max earlier today, and he said this has been messing with him <laughs> on some stuff because he's going through a difficult time right now, and it's and it's actually... Creating a category for what he 's going through right now, and, and that 's a good thing, so anyway let's continue. so I want you to look up because we 're going to pick right up this is we were like seven, eight, nine, ten slides into this, and, and, and so i didn 't want to just jet through this, but we, we covered this, but i 'm going to quickly do this and look at this Unfortunately, the bad news doesn't stop with the build up of plaque on your soul because we 're talking about solical plaque, that stuff that gums up the works, it gums up the way you feel, the way you interpret the way you the way you you interpret what's going on in the world around you, the way you receive things. Somebody says something about you, and and depending on your grid and depending on your solical plaque buildup, it can either slide right off of you and you can keep your feet moving, and you can take the one-minute pause and say, Father, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everything and everyone to you. To you, Jesus, that one-minute pause where you just you just reset the scale, you recalibrate, you reboot the system, and uh, I do that a lot. That's become so normative in my prayer. And now that I've got a category for all that, it's like, boy, this is I do that a lot. Now this is that same thing where, as that so-called plaque builds up, you you lean into and say, wait a minute, I need a reset right here. I'm going to reboot my system. Lord Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. And then you release it and you go in peace. So that's solical plaque. But there's also a toxic overflow from areas of spiritual plaque which negatively impacts you and everyone around you. And the way I talked about it last week is that, that we can have things. The solical plaque is a little more obvious. It's the way you live out your life. The spiritual plaque can be stuffed, hidden, covered. It's Adam throwing on a fig leaf and hiding from God, where God comes around and says, Adam, where are you? It's that hiding now. We're, We're trying not to be seen, not to be noticed. And because we're hiding and we have things going on in the dark, now look at this, that becomes a toxic overflow that impacts people around us. Now, it may not impact them directly. The way it typically impacts us is that we only get part of who you are. Because when we're living in hiding, our full the full expression of who God's designed us and created us to be doesn't come out. So we get less of you than there is. Does that make sense? We're not getting the full expression of who you're designed to be, who you're gifted to be, who the gift and the masterpiece that you are that God's creating. We don't get that full, we don't get the full meal deal. We just get a diminished product. And that means that means we're not getting all the best of who you are, which means we all suffer. Does that make sense? But when we're all hitting on all eight cylinders and we're running and we're living in joy and life and love is happening, we understand that our identity is, is who we are in Christ and who God says we are, not what the mirror says, and it's, our identity is love, that flows out of us. Joy flows out of us. I made the comment uh, talking about my one word. I do, I do that every year. It's just something we've done for several years now. It's a thing with us. And uh, some people say, well, I don't want to do that. I, well, then don't. We are. We just do it. But somebody came up to me, I think it was last week, uh, I think it was Brenda, Said, because I said my word is joy. I want my word to be joy for this year. And she said, well, you're already joyful. <laughs> you're, you're like the most joyful person I know. And I'm like, first of all, thank you for that, but I want more. I want more. I want all of who Christ is. I want to live that life of overflow where I'm living out of the saucer and not just the cup. I'm not just dipping into the tanks. I'm actually, it's all about the overflow. So that's my heart and my, my desire. But I want, because I want you to get everything that God's designed me to be for you. And I want everything that God's designed you to be for me. Does that make sense? An exchange of life happens. And when that happens, my gosh, I call it the buzz factor. That's the sound in a group, among a group of people, whether it's in the hallway or in the auditorium, before and after a service. I, when I hear high buzz factor, I know it's going to be a great day because there's life in the room. There's joy in the house. We did our staff and elders Christmas party out at our house, and it was so fun. and, and I'm telling you, the buzz factor was insane the laughter, the joy, the cutting up, the, the fun. And I thought, this is life. We're getting the best of each other because we were overflowing with joy. It was such a sweet thing, sweet time. So let's talk about key issues that make up this solical plaque, which, f- which spills over into the, into the spirit as well. False beliefs, unbelief, past wounds, the self-life, the flesh, judgments we make about others, taking offense, and self-protection. We blew through these last week. I'm going to do it quickly again because these are important to keep in front of us so that we understand. And where do we identify with these? False beliefs. A false belief is that my sin is so great that God can't love me. It may leave me with fleshly feeling, behaviors of frustration, self-condemnation, or unworthiness. And it is. A false belief is a lie. It's the lie that my sin is so great that God can't love me. And you know how many people live with that. That is a, that's torment. That's torture. I was visiting with a brother today who's going through a rough patch, and uh, we were talking about our prayers. We prayed together. My prayer for he and his family, his children especially, was that because of what they're going through right now as a family, that it wouldn't scar them for next Christmas, for next Thanksgiving. That, that the enemy couldn't leverage the holidays to try to tag on their pain to a time frame. That's We call that seasonal affective disorder when people, you know, well, my mother got sick about this time, you know, and then she passed away. That's my story. And so for the next few years, I had to struggle and labor through the holidays because it was weird not having her. And, and so this family that's going through a very, very hard time right now, my prayer for them was that, that the enemy would not be able to leverage their pain and tag it and associate it to a time period so that next year when Christmas rolls around, Thanksgiving, they don't find themselves devastated or feeling that, that weight, that seasonal affective. But here's the deal. A lie that my sin is so great that God can't love me. So many people live with that. It's, it's heartbreaking to me as a pastor when I know what God's Word says about you. You may not believe it, but I know what God's word says. And here's the deal: whose report are we going to believe? Are we going to believe the report of the Lord? Or are we going to be, believe the report of other voices? And there comes a time, and Cody Carnes had a great song. He's married to Carrie Job, he used to be a worship leader at Gateway. He's from the big city of Big Spring, Texas. So I knew Cody back when he, was, when he wasn't married to, to Carrie Job great guy, great young man, and he wrote a song that says, I am all that you say I am. It's a great song. I am all that you say I am. It's a declaration of, I only am going to believe that I am who you say I am, Father. It's a declaration and a prayer. So false beliefs. Here's another one. Unbelief. This is like not believing. If I don't believe God really loves me, then I might have fleshly feelings of rejection, depression, or fear. And here's the deal. If I can't lock into that and understand how much God loves me, no matter what, on my worst day that God loves me, if I can't do that, what I will do is I will project my own self-hatred onto other people. I'll raise the bar over them. I'll actually project onto them that same deal. And it'll diminish my ability and my capacity to love them well. And that's a a tragic thing. Because now, I'm taking my own pain and my own self-loathing, my own self and I'm projecting it now onto other people. How devastating is that? How unfair is that? What I've learned is that a pastor, as a pastor, and I've been in this a while, 36, 37 years now, that nine times out of ten, when people get upset with me, they're not mad at me. They're either angry with themselves, they're angry at something that happened, or they're angry with God. And I happen to be the guy on watch at the time. And what that does, it helps me, A, shake it off, so I don't take it personal and personalize it, and realize there's a deeper thing going. So what do I try to do with a person like that? Instead of me getting mad back, and have, want to have retribution or, or just want to blow them off and diminish their value by saying, "Oh, they, you know, this or that, they never really were a part of me anyway." They, they don't, you know, it's, there's things that we do to navigate our own pain. And what I'm learning to do, learning I will not say I've learned this this is an ongoing journey in, in growth period is I'm trying to see people in 3D instead of one-dimensional, I trying to see them in 3D. And what that means is recognizing there's a bigger story. There is a reason why we behave the way we do. In fact, there are reasons why. And and they can be very complicated. It can be multiple things. But there is a reason why someone slanders you. There's a reason why somebody's offended at you. And it may not be the reason you think. It may not be just what you did. There is a whole litany of things that, that lead into and feed into that. Does that make sense? And when we know that, and we it gives us compassion instead of contempt, to where I don't get upset or angry because they're angry at me. I'm going to be angry back. It's like no, there's something behind that. What's driving that? What's the engine behind that? What's the mo? What is driving that response? What's driving that criticism? What's gra- driving that judgment? Holy Spirit, Jesus, help me see what's going on. What's happening here? What's going on here, Lord? Take it to Him. Take it to Jesus. What's going on here, Lord? Help me understand. Help me see the story behind the story. There's always a story behind the story. Here's another one. Woundedness. Out of my woundedness, my roundedness. I should have corrected that. So out of my roundedness, especially during the holidays, I can justify my fleshly behaviors of unforgiveness, anger, anger, and self-protection against those who have hurt me. So that's what we do. We justify. Because I've been hurt before, and that's why I'm upset. So I'm going to blame it now on something that happened in the past. But that woundedness is so dangerous. I had a dog one time. This is a tragic story. His name was J.D., and he was a beagle. And the reason his name's J.D. is because my dad is Jimmy Don. My brother's Jerry Don. I'm Jimmy Dale. And then so we had a dog named J.D. Go figure, right? So very West Texas. And uh, of course, my nephews are Joshua Dane and Jansen Drew. So there it goes. They just keep the tradition going. We're going to run out of names sooner or later, I hope. And uh, so, anyway, so I had a dog named JD, of course. And uh, tragic story JD ran out in front of a car. I was chasing him, he got out of the gate. He was a runner. Unfortunately, if you've ever had a runner dog you know it's like what do you do? And I was chasing him down the alley he jetted out on Flint Avenue in Lubbock, Texas, and a car ran over him and I saw it and it just it just it shattered my little heart and uh, and it was it was a wound and, and he was laying in the, in the street ter- you know fatally mortally wounded. So what do I do is what would a kid do? You run up and try to grab him and pull him out of the street right I mean he, and when I did he tried to bite me. He he tried to, but he it was out of his own obvious woundedness and pain that he was trying to protect himself. He wasn't it wasn't personal against me. I loved him. He loved me. He was my dog, and uh, and unfortunately, you know, he passed away, and I you know we lost JD that one. And uh, but it was that thing of where later my dad said, "You never touch a wounded animal. You never because they'll turn and bite you." Well, I've learned as an adult, you never. You better be careful around wounded people. Wounded people have teeth too. And when people are hurt, they'll respond out of their pain. They'll respond out of their woundedness. And again, when we're watching and looking for people in 3D, we try to instead of just react back to somebody who bites, someone who wounds, someone who strikes out, our goal is to say, wait a minute, what is behind that? What's going on? What's the bigger story? I'm telling you, if we can grab hold of this, it will shift everything for you. It will shift everything. You'll see people differently. And what will happen is, is you will stop reacting, and you'll start responding. There's a big difference between a reaction and a response. A response is something you do on purpose, with purpose. And you're thinking through. That's maturity. A reaction, a knee-jerk reaction that's just immaturity. That's that's and maybe out of your own woundedness, if that makes sense. And so we have to be careful, and uh, just know that hurt people hurt people, wounded people wound people. Jerry, Jerry, real quick. I'll tie that into the real world. It's like a one minute pause. Before you do that, can I give you this? Uh, someone was telling me online. Try not to fall. Well, it, the the system's got to hear you. So. I'm going to tell you all a little behind-the-scenes secret. Hey, Russ, can you get his microphone? Thanks, buddy. He's got you. I'm going to tell you a little behind-the-scenes secret that trial lawyers use. When there's a very emotional case, this ties into the one-minute pause and looking at 3D and all that, Hmm. but when it's a very emotional case and a very sympathetic figure on the other side, when it's all over and you're summarizing the evidence and the jury's about to go make their decision, if you're on the other side, you tell them, now look, this is very tragic, it's lost, we can't give him his leg back, all that stuff. Take a minute and share your emotions, embrace your emotions, but then when you go to act, do that based on the evidence. Hmm. Don't act, react that's on good. emotion, but respond based on the evidence. That's good, that's good, Jerry. For those of y'all don't know, Jerry was a career trial lawyer which means he keeps me very honest in my teaching, so, which I appreciate. <laughs> Jerry, thank you. Great word, great word. And so, woundedness and, and the difference between reaction and responding. We want to respond. How do we want to respond? We want to respond with love. Do, do we not? Even when somebody loses it on you, and it's hard in the moment, isn't it? Because, I mean, you know, it's fight or flight. I mean, you know, you, you kind of you learn to, to fight back and strike back. As a follower of Jesus, the power of being able to take it, the power. And, I, and oh, I've got so many stories of, of moments where people were in my face. There was one man who came after me after a student. I was a youth pastor in California. And we were sitting around a room, and a man came in the room, and his daughter had gotten hurt because she was playing around in the boys' bathroom. So he was mad at me because I'm the youth pastor. I should have been watching him. But the problem is, is we had 100 plus kids and, and he should have picked up his daughter 30 minutes ago. He was late coming to get her. So she's out goofing around. She was kind of a mess anyway. So sure enough, she gets hurt. No big deal, but not bad. But oh, he comes in furious and boy, he's looking for me. And he comes in the door. And when he steps through the door. I'm like, this is going to be bad. And you know how in a room, if you have like metal chairs set up, the folding ones that are metal and, you know, and then you do know that if you're really mad enough, you can literally walk through those without even stopping, right? This guy walks through chairs, rows of chairs to get to me, and he's coming at me. As he's coming at me, I see the look on his face, and he's yelling at me, and I'm sitting there, and the Holy Spirit, I am kid you not, the Lord said, be still. Because, I mean, I wanted to jump up, because in my old days, I would have. I just wanted, like, okay, let's go. I mean, but we had students sitting around. We had youth workers that were there, and that was there. It's like we were sitting around talking after the student meeting, having a wonderful time. And the Lord said, just be still. So he walks up, and he... He's so angry, he picks up a metal chair, and he holds it up, and I think he's gonna, I feel like I'm about to be on you know, World Wrestling Federation here. You know, I've, I've got to get slammed with a chair, and he takes it, and he throws it into a wall. It spins across the room, because it's folded, and it sticks into a wall. Literally stuck into a wall, like da-da-da-da. I mean, like, it was amazing. I, don't know how, I mean, he couldn't have done that again if he tried, right? But it was like a very dramatic effect. And it sticks in the wall, he makes a big hole in the wall, And he walks over me. He's towering over me, and he's just—I mean, I've never seen a man this mad, where veins are popping out his forehead. He was going to take me out, and I'm telling you, I was—I was as calm as a cucumber. But here's the thing: Annette did not hear that word. So Annette stands up. She stands up, and she gets in his face and just basically mamas him and tells him he needs to calm down and shut up and get his act together, and he did. But I thought it was so funny because the Holy Spirit told me to be still because, it, I mean, he's standing over me with a metal chair before he throws it into the wall, and uh, that was a funny moment. But what was really cool is that just the peace of God was so on me in that moment because I would have wanted to react I would have wanted to go, okay, you know, I'm just going to go back BC and we'll just do what, what I used to do. And so, but instead it was the peace of God. And it was a completely not it was a completely spiritual reaction as opposed to pose what my flesh was wanting to do. But Annette didn't hear that word, so the Lord spoke to me not her. So she jumped up, and read him the right act and he calmed down. But anyway, out of woundedness, turns out there was a whole 3D story behind his response. come to find out he wanted the youth minister position, and they called me, and he was mad at me because he didn't get the position. He'd been sporting a grudge ever since, and he was looking for a reason to be mad. There's always a reason. There's something behind it. So, keep moving. Flesh, self-life, loving out of the flesh, which is independent of God, can result in my unwillingness to forgive, repent, or die to my fleshly rights. Because... If I love you, I expect you to love me back. If I compliment you, I expect you to compliment me back. If I encourage you and build you up, I expect you to say thank you. That's loving out of myself. That's my flesh life. And being a number two on the Enneagram, if you are familiar with the Enneagram, I can fall into that. I'm a number two. I'm a lover. I'm an encourager by nature. It's just in me. And if I am in my flesh, I will pout when I don't get a response. Just ask Annette. I will pout when I don't get a response. And I have to catch myself because I don't want to operate out of my flesh. I want to operate out of the spirit. It's a different mentality. But when you're not, you, you will love somebody, but you expect something back. That's not agape love. That's conditional. I'm wanting something out of you, so I'm going to encourage you and build you up because I want to be built up and encourage myself. Uh, it's one of the five love languages, right? Words of affirmation. That's my top one there. So go figure. So I may also try to manipulate and control others and they will love me the way I want and then justify rejecting them when they don't meet my expectations. I don't like that because it's so darn accurate. I mean, that is on point. And I have to, if I'm in the flesh, I can fall right into this. But I don't want to live that way. I don't want to live a natural life. I want to live a supernatural life. That means beyond and above, above and beyond nature. Beyond, above and beyond the natural judgments. My judging others may result in fleshy behaviors such as arrogance, that I'm better than someone else, a condescending attitude or self-righteousness. Religious judgments. Oh Whew. Having been a church guy for 37 plus years now, 36, 37, whatever year I'm on, I've lost count. Um, I've been there, done that myself, and I've had it done. It's just part of the game, and it's just sad. Because the church is made up of people just like us. I mean, the day I get mad at the church is the day I got to just look in the mirror and go, it's you, buddy. It's you. You are the church. The Pharisees, are with us. Pharisees are always with us. And unfortunately, sometimes I'm that Pharisee. I can, I can fall into that. I'm as prone to it as anybody. And that's one of those things where... If I'm not in tune with the Spirit and walking by and with the Holy Spirit to where I'm listening to Him, then I can just I can run right off into arrogance and pride and oh it's ugly and it stinks and it's foul. It's foul. It's a stench in the nostrils of God. Here's another one. Taking offense. My becoming offended at another's words or actions may result in fleshly behaviors, frustration, anger, bitterness, and resentments. But that, that idea of just I'm offended. You've hurt my feelings. You've violated my rights, my entitlement. And I'm telling you, we live in a culture of that right now. And it's so easy. Dwayne Sheriff, I mentioned this last while, he, he did a whole series called uh, Offense, the Trojan Horse in the Church. It was a great, he preached that series at our church. Well, actually we did it on video. He, it was a great series where he taught on the idea that what happens is, is it comes in and rolls in as as life-giving, as encouragement, as beautiful. But I'm telling you, the moment you cross that type of person, that may be all good until you do one thing. And then when they get offended, it's dark. It's dark and it's ugly. So I won't stay on that. So here's the deal. Who's going to remove your solical plaque, and what is your part in the removal process? So how do we get rid of this gunk? If, if, the, if the works are gunked up, how do we get rid of it? How do we wash all that out of the system? How do we flush the system? You ever had a radiator on an old car back when we used to do our own radiators and stuff? Remember we used to work on our own cars? I mean, you just you put a hose on top of that thing. There was a cap that was designed for that. You open that petcock at the bottom, and guess what comes out when you flush it? Nasty red, stinky rust and old antifreeze. I mean, it's it's horrible what what comes out of that system when pressure's put on it. Well, what comes out of us when pressure's put on us? I hope it's not rust and gunk. and Well, maybe it should be. But what you do, you run that water through there under pressure, and after a little while, it starts to clear up. And then it becomes clean, pure water. Then you know it's clean and ready to go, and you can shut that pet cock back off and put antifreeze back in and re get it all going again, and it works like it's supposed to. So here's the thing. Who's going to be the source to remove your solical plaque? And so let's, let's a, look at a couple of things. Just as one is treated for plaque in the physical arteries by use of medication and drugs, so too does a person need to be treated to remove spiritual solical plaque. The question is, what will you use? Okay? So here's option number one. You can depend on yourself with God's help. You can depend on yourself with God's help. Does something sound fundamentally wrong here? It may sound good at first. Hey, I want God to help me. Lord, I want you to, would you help me do this? How many times have we prayed, Lord, I'm going to do this, but would you help me do this? It sounds good. You're trying to invite God into what you're doing, but the problem is is that you're starting with you and not Him as the source. And we'll talk more about that as we go through. So here it is. Relying on your own strength and abilities means it's up to you to do these things, to keep God's rules and commands in your own flesh. Anyone ever tried to do the Sermon on the Mount? Oh, man. We have a golden question, which we'll ask in a minute. Here's another one. <laughs> it didn't work, did it? Here's another one. It's up to you to keep from sinning. How many of you have tried not to sin? Okay, golden question we've got to ask. How does that work? How's that working for you? <laughs> it's just not, is it? I, I offended a pastor one time. Uh, I was on staff at a church, and, and I got up to preach, and... I had just had such a revelation of the love of God and the goodness of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God, and my world was upside down. And it had dawned on me that I can't live the Christian life. I can't. I can't do that. There's no way that me and myself as the source can do the Sermon on the Mount. I tried. I walked through it. I I studied it. I'm like, there is no way. I do not have the willpower, the strength, the courage. I just don't have it. I can't do it which was the best place I needed to be because it began. It 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 led me into the place of realizing the reason I can't do it is because I'm not supposed to do it. He is going to do it in me, but through me. And so when that revelation hit me strong, I got up one Sunday at at a very works-oriented church. If I was to do that here, everybody would go, amen. But that was not the case in that atmosphere. And my first sentence when I got up to preach the message is, I said, you cannot live the Christian life. And I just let it simmer. I put it on the back burner and just let it sit there for a minute. And boy, did it simmer, at least in the senior pastor. And, uh, oh, he was upset. He just thought I'd lost my mind. But actually what I'd found was God's grace. And I began to realize Jesus died for me so he could give his life to me so he could literally live his life through me. And I had found rest. I had found pace, the pace of grace. And uh, I got up and said that. And, and after the message, I went on and taught a message. And oh, there were so many people coming up going, thank you for that. That was so helpful. That helped me. Oh, I've been try- I'm killing. My-. And that was the nature of this church. We were killing ourselves to try to advance the kingdom. You know, we we're taking it by force. You know, we we're getting it done. And uh, but people were spinning out right and left. People were exhausted. People were in sin, but they were just hiding it now. No one, no one was transparent. It was all fake, and it was all brother this and brother that, and everybody getting Judas kiss all week long. I mean, it was crazy. The culture and the dysfunction that it bred, and it bred this religious pride and arrogance. And uh, and of course, I walk in and just throw a big old pipe wrench in the spokes and say, there is no way you can do this. You can't do it. I mean, I think there might have been an audible gasp from the front row when I said that. I said it here, and people just go, hey, man, that's right. I can't do it. I need Jesus. And So we're, we, man, what a beautiful culture we have here. So here's the thing. When you try to do it on your own, here's another one. Have you ever tried to just stop behaving badly? Just stop it. Just quit doing what you're doing. Just don't. Boy, how easy it is to say that, right? And be flippant about it. But when you're talking to somebody who's in addiction, and you're just saying, just stop. You're telling somebody who's in a gay lifestyle, and you say, just stop. Just quit. Really? How immature are we? How shallow are we? To not consider there's a litany of things that led that individual into that place. And for us to think that we can somehow tell someone, pray about it, here's a scripture prescription, here's a prescription for you, just, just apply this and you're going to be okay. We shortchange people. We set people up for failure. Because, again, we're telling them, basically, you read the scripture, you pray, and you got it done. You, you do it. What we need to be telling people is, look, there's no way you can fix this because it's not really up to you. Because you're not the source. There's a greater source. There's a greater one. And that's what we do. Our goal is to introduce people into the one who can. We introduce people to Jesus. We used to use the verbiage, we lead people to Jesus. Well, it's actually accurate. We're leading them because he's the one. He's the healer. He's the healer. I remember somebody coming to me after I prayed for somebody. and They got healed. I was as shocked as anybody. It was amazing. And the guy came back next week telling me, you healed me. You healed me. I mean, I thought the ceiling was, I was scared. I had a fear of the Lord. I'm like, no, 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 I did not. I did, Jesus did that. The Lord did that. Sir, please don't even put that on me. Don't. Because it was the Lord. I just happened to be there facilitating the prayer. I'm just a facilitator. So here's another one. tell people, yeah, Try to stop behaving badly. See how, how good that works for you. Here's another one. You try on your own or it's up to you to produce God's promises of victory, freedom, transformation. Hey, you just need to be free. Just, be, just set yourself free. You ever tried to set yourself free from something that you were enslaved to, that you were under? How did that work out? <laughs> Grit your teeth, grin and bear it, just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, get her done. How's that working for you, right? Right? Have you ever tried to do these things yourself? Keep God's rules and commands. Keep from sinning. Stop behaving badly. Produce God's promises. And then here it is. Here's our question. What is it? All right, that's it. How's that working for you? And can you imagine what it would be like if we were honest in church? Really? I mean, dare I say it, even on a Sunday morning? You know, we just, it's like it's okay to be honest in here on Wednesday night. Everybody's casual and comfortable and relaxed. But Sunday, there's something a little different about that atmosphere where we seem like we're a little more formal and whatnot. Not so much here, honestly. It's hard to be formal in a metal building. So I'm kind of thankful for our building. It helps us stay chill. But, I mean, if you've ever been in, in a church, a high church, it's very formal, very liturgical. And I think the liturgy's beautiful. I mean, if you know the symbolism behind what's being done, it's actually beautiful. It's a beautiful and amazing thing. So I, I'm not a non knock- on that. But in those formal atmospheres, there's a tendency to where when you put on a suit and you put on a tie, so thankful we don't do that here, but when you put on a suit and a tie, it just makes you walk different. It makes you talk different. It it makes you respond and act differently. And what happens is, is as we button up our coat, we're buttoning up our life, and we're not transparent anymore. That's so tragic to me. But can you imagine if we had a church atmosphere that was so safe that when I asked you, how are you doing? You just said, not good. And i like, oh, thank you for that. Let's pray right now. Let's go to Jesus together. Wouldn't that be wonderful if on a Sunday morning you could tell somebody you're not doing good? I'm not, I'm not great. I'm, I'm having a bad day. I'm having a bad week. I'm having a bad month right now. I feel like I'm having a bad life. Can you imagine how beautiful it would be to have an atmosphere that's safe. Amen? Just so you know, in January, we're going to have a panel of, of counselors up here who are strong in the spirit and strong in the therapeutic environment. We're marrying the world's we're sound therapeutic principles of sound theology. And we're going to have a panel, and I'm going to interview them, and we're going to talk about this thing in the church and religion that we've created an unsafe place for people. Because we like it neat and tidy. Y'all do know the advancement of the kingdom is not neat and tidy. Revival is not pretty. Spiritual awakening is not high and tight. It's not clean. It's messy. Because people get honest enough to go, I'm not doing great. I'm not, I'm not making it. I'm, I don't know if I believe anymore. I'm struggling in this area or that. And we want to create an atmosphere where people can say that and it's okay to not be okay. Now, we don't want to leave you there. Amen? We want, to, we want to do what we can to get you into a place where you can begin to grow again and thrive again and be healed, whole again. That's the idea. We're on the journey. That's what I love about Jesus. He meets us where we are, but he loves us so much he doesn't leave us there. Amen? There's a plan. He wants to get us moving. And so, but we've got to be a church that facilitates that, a culture that facilitates safety. And this, I'm doing great, brother. But this faith it till you make it stuff, that's just, just this short of fake it till you make it. Amen? Yeah. Yeah, it's real. So anyway, we're going to be working on that, and I'm excited about it. So Jesus said this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. That's great. I love that. For apart from me, you can do what? No thing. You can't do a thing. Apart from him. He's the source. We abide in Him, and He lives His life through us. I love this. If you've tried any of these, would you agree that, A, listen, you can't set yourself free. Can I get an amen? Amen. You can't keep God's rules and commands. (laughs) You can't stop sinning. You ever tried that? (laughs) We can hide it. We, We pull an atom. Grab a fig leaf and go hide, but we can't stop. You can't change your sinful behavior. You can temporarily, right? Adrenaline only lasts so long, folks. Enthusiasm only lasts so long. Excitement only lasts so long. The altar is awesome, and altar moments are beautiful, and I celebrate them. But when you step away from the altar and you walk out of here, back out into your world, sometimes it wears off pretty quick, amen? So... You can't stop judging, taking offense, or self-protecting. Yeah, not on your own. But this is where we come back to say, Father, you're the source. Jesus, you're the source. Spirit, you're the source. I can't do this apart from you. In fact, you told me that in your own word. Source means the one who's going to take all of God's word and make it an experiential reality in your life. What I love about that, is that the idea of nosco? when, let's say in John chapter 8, it says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It literally means, you will know by experience the truth, and the knowing of that truth in your knower will make you free. That's what it literally reads. It's knowing here, not just here. You will know by experiencing the truth. It's actually an experiential experience. It's experiential by nature, and that's what sets us free. And it becomes a reality in our life, because now we have an empowerment and an enablement to move beyond this stuff that's been holding us down, this solical plaque. Isn't it beautiful to know that Jesus can live his life through me and actually fulfill, fulfill the, the beatitudes, fulfill the Sermon on the Mount, fulfill His call, His role, all because He's living His life through me. And what that means is that I begin to surrender. And I begin to identify as a saint, not a sinner. I'm a saint who falls. I'm a saint who misses it. I'm a saint who swings and misses. I'm a saint who stumbles. I'm a saint who... But I, that's not my nature. I don't have two natures, folks. You need to understand something. When you were born again, you got a new heart. Do you believe that? Born again means born again. You're born anew. You're born of the water naturally, but you're born of the Spirit. In Christ, John chapter 3, Jesus was very clear about it. So I am not subject to my old nature unless I don't know that I'm not subject to my old nature. That's the power of knowledge, knowing, no scope, to know by experience. You know the truth, and the truth sets you free. But remember, truth is not a concept Truth is a person. Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." He's the way, the truth, and the life. So when I know Him and experience Him, what's crazy is that I don't have to try to stop sinning. But when He's when I'm led by Him and He's living His life in me and through me, I don't do what I used to do. And the enamoredment, the the the. The desire, the the draw to sin begins to diminish over time as you walk with Him. But the beauty of it is this I no longer am identified by the mistakes I make. I'm now identified by who He says I am. He says I'm His Son, He says I'm His beloved, He says I'm a saint, He says I'm holy. Colossians uh, 1.22. Jesus made us to be holy, blameless, and above reproach in His sight. I don't make myself that. He makes me that. So I don't have two natures. I don't have an old nature still at war. What I have is residue of the past and memories, but I don't have an old nature. I have a new nature. I have a new nature that looks like Him. The Imago day becomes complete when you're born again. Image of God. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that awesome? I hope that brings hope. Because now I'm not subject to what I used to be subject to. And let me tell you something. And this is ongoing. This is sanctification. It's the process that I'm saved and being saved. I'm free and being freed. I'm whole and being whole being made whole. It's that process, and it continues on. I know it's a lot to take in, but oh, it's so fun to just, just play with that and enjoy it. Here's option number two. Christ as your source to live the Christian life, to live the life in and through you. So Christ, now he becomes a source, and you rest in that. You laugh a lot more. I'm telling you, there's a lot of joy in this thing. We're going to be doing a whole series called Hallelujah Anyway. We're going to go through the book of joy, the book of Philippians. I'm so excited about it. We're going to talk about how do you live up in a down world when everybody else is losing their minds around us because they can't get off the news channels or the news feeds. How do you live up in a down world? How do you laugh when no one else is laughing? How do you smile when everyone around you is depressed? How do you shout hallelujah anyway? That's what the whole series is called, hallelujah anyway. So Christ becomes the source to live that life in us and through us. This is how we know that Jesus is the only source for living the Christian life. Look at John 14, 6. I just quoted it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He is the source. And when we really lean into that, when that becomes true to us, not just a theory, not just theology, but when it becomes true to you, it will become true through you. And you'll begin to leak that life out. And people around you will know because you become contagious. You have a contagious joy about you that people go... Man, they're up all the time. I don't know how they do it. Doesn't mean they're perfect. Doesn't mean you don't have bad days, and there is a wrong side of the bed. It doesn't mean that. That's reality. You're going to have those days, those moments, but at least you're honest about it. But you don't stay there, you don't live there, and that doesn't become your identity. It does not define you. A bad day doesn't define you, family. Your mistake doesn't define you, family. A bad choice doesn't define you, brother or sister. Jesus defines you, and he calls you a saint, a holy one. He, He says you're unaccusable. That's what above reproach means. Unaccusable. Who can stand against God in the court of law? He's your advocate. Who can stand? Amen? He's your advocate, your intermediary. He's your mediator. He's all those things. And listen' there's a couple more. This is how we know that Jesus is the only source for living the Christian life. in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter one, verse 30 in the Revised standard, He is the source of your life in Jesus Christ. He's the source. He's the source. And what we, we're going back to what we, we studied nearly two years ago now, when we used one of Bill's booklets called "Living Life from a New Source." Remember that? Living life from a new source. Instead of living it out of myself, I'm now living it from him and out of him. And last one, Jesus is the provider of what you need, and he is the producer of what he promises. I don't know where Bill got that, but that, that statement is powerful. Kudos to Bill. Way to go, Uncle Bill. Jesus is the provider of what you need, and he is the producer of what he promises. See, because his promises are yes and amen in Christ. Not in you, in Christ, but through you. He wants to live his life through you, Ian Thomas said. Isn't that beautiful? Christ in us and through us, the hope of glory. I've been crucified in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and that primary preposition, epsilon pneuma, through me. In and through And that is, I mean, if you want to just boil this down to the key to the Christian life, it's understanding that simple present participle, that he wants to live his life through you, not just in you, but through you. And here's the deal. When you're released to that, what happens is you leak out what you're full of, and everywhere you go, you're leaking out life. You don't have to preach the gospel. You don't have to show up with your Lord's Gym t-shirt and your what would Jesus do bracelet and your, your fish bumper sticker on your car, your ichthus, you know, not the one that Darwin's eating, but you know you're eating Darwin's fish, you know, you've seen all the silly stuff. You don't need all that stuff. What you do is you show up and Christ is you're so full of Jesus, you're so full of truth, you're so full of hope and you're so full of joy that you can't Keep it to yourself. I was talking to a friend on Sunday at lunch, and he said, he was talking to me about another friend of his who experienced, had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that he had never experienced before. This guy was an LPC, had been on staff at a church, and he had never had an encounter like this that was experiential in nature. And it really messed my friend up because he was like, I mean, he's like, that's all he wants to talk about. That's like he just wants to talk about the Holy Spirit. All. He, and I just sat back and listened and let him talk. And this is a great brother in the Lord. And I just said, I said, you know why he's doing that, right? He goes, what do you mean? I said, he's excited. He has discovered something that has now enhanced his walk with Jesus that's been one-dimensional for many years, and now there's another element. I said, This friend of yours just stepped onto a new continent of discovery. He just stepped onto America for the first time. There's a whole continent, and he's excited. And because he's excited, he's going to talk about it. And there may come a time where some of the adrenaline wears off and life kind of finds some equilibrium and it doesn't become the main thing. But right now, he's so excited because for him right now, It's changing his life. It's changing the trajectory of his life. But isn't that what good news does? Isn't that what learning something fresh and new does for us? Don't we just leak it out naturally? The guy's not even aware he's doing it. He's just so excited about this new experience and this new level of walk and a new facet to this beautiful diamond called the Christian life that he just wants to tell everybody about it. But didn't you when you got saved? Man, I did. I was 19 years old. I couldn't shut up. My best friend Randy was like, like dude, that's good for you, man. But, you know, man, just kind of keep it to yourself. I could not keep it to my I couldn't stop because I was so excited about it. Well, here's what happens, and here's what's fun about being a follower of Jesus. You will never fully discover it all. You can, that can either make you sad or it can make you very excited because that means you never exhaust this thing. It's inexhaustible. That means the more you get, the more there is, and that's exciting to me, not, not defeating to me, thinking, well, if I don't conquer, this isn't a video game I'm trying to conquer, trying to finish, get to the final stage. No, this is a life that I'm living knowing there are no limits and there is no lid on this thing, which means always growing. And of, his, of the increase of his kingdom, the scripture says, there will be no end. Which means it's an ever-expanding thing, which is exciting, which means we can run as hard as we want for the rest of our life and still never get to the end of it. And that is an exciting thing. That means it never gets old. If your Christian life is boring, you don't know the same Jesus I do. My Jesus is wild. I'm just saying. Wild at heart? He's wild at heart. John Eldred's nailed it on that one. He's a a beautiful outlaw. It was the name of one of John's books. Beautiful outlaw. And it's so fun running with him because it never gets old. If it gets old, I'm missing something. I've gone off the rail somewhere. But I'm telling you, it just gets to use my really good grammar, it gets gooder and gooder as we go. Just stay with it. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand together. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, I'm so grateful that we have this group of people here tonight who are hungry and want to grow and want to explore and want to discover what it is to live life from a new source. And so, Lord, right now we turn our attention to you And our declaration tonight is, Lord, you are our source. You're the source. You're the source of life. You're the source of joy. You're the source of discovery. You're the source of what it means to truly live above the fray of this world. And Lord, we're not disdaining this world. You gave your son for this world. You so love the world that you gave him. So, we're not disdaining the world around us. We're just recognizing the chaos and thankful that we can live above that. There is a level of life and living that is above it. It's not found in ourselves, it's found in our hope in Christ. And as we lean into and grow into our relationship with you and our fellowship with you, Lord, we step onto new continents of discovery, inexhaustible, of your kingdom, no end. And so thank you, Lord, that we can keep running and enjoying and playing in your presence as sons and daughters. And I pray for my friends here, Lord. Open our eyes, truly open our eyes that we may see. But even more so, open our hearts that we may know by experience the truth that makes us free. We honor you in this. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen and amen.